Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Welcome to Codish. My name is Jamie White, I'm a front-end engineer at Heroku, and for this episode we have special guest Ben Farrell, an award-winning designer, engineer currently working at Adobe, and the author of a new Manning book, Web Components in Action. Hi Ben, how's it going? Great, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. As usual, I'd like to start by just diving into your, your background with technology. So take us all the way back. How did you get into technology in the first place? Back in high school, I was very involved in uh, cable access, and that got me involved in video. And um, so in college, I started as a, I wanted to do some 3D animation, and I kind of coupled that with some comp sci. Um, but very, very late into that game, I, I found multimedia. So just pairing computer science with actual visual graphics really got me interested in this, in this space, much more than just like coding against a terminal and watching output. So just like getting all that stuff put together for me really, really created a passion around that. So um, very early in my career, I was, you know, doing a CD-ROMs and stuff in Macromedia Director. Then I transitioned over to Flash. And then, you know, um, as many people's story might be, uh, 2010, 2011 um, is really when I started picking up a lot of different, a lot more different technologies um, as people were pushing back against Flash. So um, I got in, I mostly got into like, you know, HTML5 was the big term then. So I, you know, I had some, I had a bunch of previous web development experience, but that's kind of when I went all in, in addition to a few other technologies, including like Android, iOS, uh, uh, you know, native stuff there. And I did some C sharp because we had an Xbox project. So um, it really just uh, kind of ballooned out from there. But I really, I really like this idea of coding for the web, developing for the web, because everybody can consume this. Um, and it's such a short barrier to entry. So yeah, I'm a web developer now. It seems like throughout your career, um, your your approach has very much been about like putting tangible things on screen and having making really interactive things. Yeah, and I think that feeds a lot into kind of what I like to do at Adobe. And you know, I'm a I'm a design prototyper at Adobe, and you know, I've done testing before, and it's great. I've done like continuous integration before, and that's great, but. When we're talking about what I what I really enjoy doing, um, kind of just prototyping is so quick. You get instant results. You get to vet those instant results with people. So I really just like putting things on on screen really fast, like you say. So yeah. Uh, and then these days, obviously, web components are a new source of inspiration for you. But what else has got you excited in the current crop of technologies? When I didn't know I was going to write this book, I was really ready to go all in on uh, on VR on the web, um, and that's taken some time to take off. So I'm kind of glad web component. I'm kind of glad this book opportunity came my way to write about web components because you know at the end of the day, that's kind of how I'm getting all my projects done, um, and it just. You know, once you get used to it, it, just seems like something in your tool belt that's cool to use. Um, so I was, I'm really excited about future-looking things like web VR uh, or XR, as they're calling it now, uh, because of AR and immersive media. Um, but that's that's really what I'm excited about um, going forward. And I, you know, I, using using web components as a tool in my tool belt to go forward with all these new exciting things is just something I want to keep continue doing. 
Perfect. Well, that, I think, leads us nicely into talking about web components themselves, but perhaps we can lay the groundwork by, by talking about this book, which I, I gather has been like a big project for you over the last couple of years. Um, how did it come about? Yeah. How, did it, how did this commission start? I want to say I've been using, I keep telling people different things, different years that I've been using web components since, but I think it's been 2012, 2013. Um, so around then, I, you know, I wanted to start a new way of doing things. Um, Angular was just, you know, it, I've been using it for a while and then something new was coming out. So I got, I kind of got sick of that churn. Um, so web components seemed a, a great way to, um, go forward and learn something new that would might carry forward. So I started, I started working with web components. I started talking about web components at uh, conferences. Um, I wrote a whole bunch of blog posts on web components and, you know, that was kind of all I wrote about and talked about anymore. And so I was like, what's my next step in this? So I, I decided to approach Manning um, and offer to write a book for them. Um, and at the time, I think this was, you know, it might've been early 2017 or maybe even 2016. Um, they had actually just um, kind of canceled a book on web components. And um, there was some books from 2015 that were on the market that were becoming dangerously outdated because standards were changing. So um, they said no right away to me and said thank you. But uh, a year later, they contacted me because they saw some they saw some potential future in web components now. Um, and they said, how about this book? You know, deliver an outline. Let's let's see what we can do with this. So I happily said yes, and uh, we we kicked off this book. So I think it's fair to say that your your interest in web components has been something of a long bet, but it's it's really paying off right now as they're starting to be adopted on mass and various different tools are being built atop uh, web components to enable more developers to use them. Your, your timing's good. Yeah, it really is, and I you know I might have been too early uh, if I had gotten my way, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad it happened this way. So yeah, great. So it, I, I gather the book is for anyone from people who are absolute beginners with web components through to people who maybe have encountered previous incarnations of them. Could you talk us through the structure of the book and how, how people are intended to read it? My, my, kinda, my target audience is really um, kind of beginner to intermediate folks who they know how to work with HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. Um, I have done maybe a few projects. Maybe they're doing jQuery or, or tried their hand at some frameworks. And they want to they know what the, the deal is with web components. Um, so it comes to, kind of speaks to how I structure the book, too. I'm a big fan of, you know, not just, like, telling people what to do. I like to let people arrive on how to do stuff by themselves almost. So what I like to do is I like to, to break concepts down and really tear them apart and say, this is something that fails. This is why it fails. And this is something that works. And this is why it works. And we came from a point of failure. And, you know, I like learning that way, kind of that exploratory learning. So that's kind of how the book is structured. So we start right away with building you up with a, a custom element, a real simple one. And it's just a custom element, no shadow DOM, no nothing. Um, and we do, we do things kind of some, a wacky way because we haven't learned all those concepts yet. So we go from custom element to uh, importable modules, ES6 modules, and then we take that to um, template literals to you know store your HTML and CSS. And then we build up the shadow DOM and keep exploring from there um, different ways to create components, um, including you know uh, templates and um, building and testing. Um, so it really builds up in that way. And it, it really, I, I like to think it really just goes deep and just explains to you and it doesn't explain to you, it lets you, it lets you experience, you know, just what doesn't work and what does. 
Right. So tell us a bit more about uh, the process of researching this book. You obviously were involved in in using web components and I guess possibly in influencing the design of them for some time. Did you find you had to do a lot more research into the spec itself to flesh out this book? I did a lot of research. I don't know if I influenced so much of the design. I think we just like converged on the same spot when the book came out and where web components were at the time. So back when I started this book, um, it would have probably been smart at the time to write mostly about Polymer, the Polymer library. And that's just not where we are right now. And, you know, back back when I started writing this, we were in a place where there were three um, kind of standards that were rolled up in web components. There was um, the, the Shadow DOM, there's custom elements, and then there was HTML imports. And HTML imports were kind of your entry point into web components. But but the, the HTML imports have kind of fallen away. You know, browsers haven't picked them up. So the whole process of creating web components um, today have changed from where we were back then. Um, I kind of I kind of went with my gut and departed that way early, didn't follow Polymer, and kind of worked out my own workflow. I mean, especially with like template literals to store your HTML and CSS, that's kind of where I went instead of all those places. And I was really hoping it worked out because it seemed like the best way. And then when when um, HTML imports kind of they decided uh, it wasn't being supported. I was like, I think I might be onto something. And then from Polymer, the the Polymer team came out with lit HTML, lit element, and that was kind of the conversion, the the convergence point where we were kind of in sync, and we weren't really. I didn't talk to them, um, but that's kind of where we landed. And I think I think that's that's kind of the future uh, trajectory of web components. Could you explain what Polymer is a little bit more and then also what Lit Element is? Yeah, sure. So Polymer, um, you know, when when Web Components first started, when when Google shipped V0 of all these standards that were, it was, it was really geared to be experiment um, in Google Chrome for people to adopt these standards. And the problem was, it was it was they were kind of hard to work with. It wasn't easy to work with other browsers because they weren't shipping, especially the Shadow DOM. Like it's really hard to support the Shadow DOM um, just through a polyfill. Um, so there there needed to be a lot of work done um, to help people along to support Google to support people like trying to like uh, you know have a say in this experiment. So um, Polymer the Polymer library came along uh by Google and this is around the same time as uh Mozilla X tags. So the Polymer library you know, kind of wraps up some polyfills and it's kind of like it's they kind of said this is where we want web components to go. We realize this isn't where we are where we are right now, but we'll give you the tools, the Polymer tools, the it's it's kind of a it's almost a framework, I guess. Um and that was the entry point for most people working with web components. Um and there was a little too long of a time there where Polymer was almost synonymous with web components. And web components are a standard, so you don't want that to happen. Um, Polymer 1 became Polymer 2, and then Polymer 2 became 3. And now they're, now they're in a... Um, they're stopping development on Polymer, not for bug fixing and everything else. They're still supporting Polymer 3. However, what came out of that project is they scaled down Polymer a lot because we're in a place right now where the web standards are in a place where it's supported by all modern browsers. And so there's only so many things you need right now to actually get started with web components. And um, you know, lit HTML is 
one of those tools. So LinHTML supports declarative programming, kind of like what you'd be familiar with if you were, it's the design pattern that you'd be familiar with if you were using React. So, you know, take in a model, some properties, and if anything changes in that model, you re-render the DOM. Well, you can't do that well if the DOM can't be diff because you don't want to render the, the whole thing over and over and over again. You want to only render what changed. So LinHTML, helps you do that. It has some other niceties like for repeating um, repeating elements from a list or something and um, you know click handlers and mouse event handlers um, all, all within there. It's, it's almost like working with JSX except there's no JSX. It's all template literals and lit HTML to help you out. So the wrapper above that is lit element. So lit element expands upon this notion of your web component extending from uh, HTML element, which is the the core, it's it's the base class that you'd expend, extend web components from if you're writing web components. Lit, lit element extends that and kind of wraps things up in a even more easier way to use uh, web components. So that's what the Polymer team is up to right now. And they're gonna keep going along that same trajectory to just kind of make a whole bunch of things to just help web component developers out. I mean, it's interesting as well that uh, Polymer and the web component spec were evolving and changing while React was exploding in popularity and kind of changing the way people were even approaching writing components. So I, I guess the spec and its authors had to adapt to that changing landscape as well. Yeah, and I don't think, I'm not certain that the the actual standard uh, adapted to change with React. It's more like you have this base set of standards and to meet that demand that, you know, this design pattern that all React developers seem to love, you know, you create a thin, this thin library. It's not, I don't even call it a library. It's like a utility class with some, with very little th stuff in it. And then that helps you get up to speed with the React developers. So it's, it kind of goes in layers. And I really appreciate that approach because you can peel back the layers, lit, lit element to lit HTML. You don't have to use lit HTML. You can go to vanilla web components or even use a different ecosystem. You, you can go like Ionic and their stencil compiler or the Salesforce tools. So web components are kind of you know, branching off in many different directions. Um, and, you know, lit, lit Element is probably the most, the Polymer team is probably the most popular one of those right now. So, well, it, it's been really interesting to deep dive for the past few minutes, but let's, um, let's zoom out a little bit. And I'd like to hear a little bit about what you use web components for in your work. Because I'm doing prototyping, um, I'm not necessarily shipping out anything to production right now. Um, so, uh, you know, at Adobe, uh, I'm, I can't get into the specifics of what I'm working on, but um, I've been doing some, you know, uh, prototypes that mix th like a 3D canvas and a 2D UI. Um, I've been working on, uh, you know, some, you know, canvas other canvas-based things, um, and that kind of extends to the side projects I like to do, where you know, I really, I really do enjoy working in 3D and um, just having having that, you know, that 3D canvas that has I can wrap that up in a web component and make it have its own API, and then the other 2D APIs up the 2D components off of the side can all talk to that and they work so well together and uh yeah so that i mean that's the that's the type of things i'm passionate about right now working with that's really interesting it sounds like it's a way to give a, a kind of declarative api to these 3d and 2d pieces almost mm -hmm. like building your own toolkit up out of web components 
Yeah, it's also a way to wrap up this like crazy complex functionality that maybe you just don't know. Um, there was uh, one project um, I saw. I saw. I don't actually don't even know his name, but Haves on Twitter. He uh, he's this author of the Shader Doodle li- the Shader Doodle component. Um, and Shader Doodle is this thing. If you're familiar with Shader Toy, you can kind of write your own shaders and uh, enter them on this website. And people are doing some amazing things. But it's all on this website. And um, this person that I was working with, um, they wanted to create a web component that did this. And like, it's it's hard working with WebGL. Um, Not many people know how to do it. Um, So just encapsulating all that in one place, a web component that you could then just use and throw your own shaders at locally is is something that he put out there. And I, you know, I kind of helped a little bit with, but he did most of the work. and that's what I that's one of the things I really like about web components where, you know, you might have this rocket science knowledge of things, but you don't want to expose that to people. You just want to give them the easy web component to work with. So that's that's basically one of the things I love about web components. So that leads on naturally to another question I have, which is how web components have changed the way that you work with other people on your team and beyond. It's an interesting question because, you know, uh, as a prototyper, I don't work with many other developers, maybe maybe one or two other developers at a time. Mainly, I'm, I'm working with designers myself um, and, and and just like coming and putting all the pieces together. It really does change how I work with designers, I feel like, though, because, you know, when I'm working as a prototyper with a designer, the final design isn't done yet. It might not even be started yet. So we just get started on something. I'll create some components. I'll, I'll put them together on a page, and the designer might be like, "Hey, this compo- this this component doesn't work well over there. It needs to go over to this other place." So it's really just a matter of like moving a component over to another piece of the page, and and it doesn't really take that much effort because they're so encapsulated. Like normally, there might be nightmares with CSS trying to like move stuff, but because components are so encapsulated, it's really that. If I if I make the if I make the job easy with my data models and stuff, it's really just easy to move um, a component from one place to another. This is a pretty key distinction. the The fact that sh- the the shadow DOM is now comprehensible and easy to use, I think, will mm-hmm. be yeah. like a really refreshing change to a lot of people. Not to have to worry about your styles from one place affecting a component from a completely different place. Absolutely. And I got to say, like, not even just styles, like I've been, I feel like kind of like dirty about it, but I've been using ID a lot more now. (laughs) And, um, you know, you just like, you can use an ID uh, attribute in a component and just call everything by ID and maybe you style them that way, but you can also query select get element by ID in that component and you don't have to worry about the rest of the page. So it's, it's really amazing. And how does this work with um, passing events around between components? Can events escape a, a shadow DOM? Absolutely, um, custom events. Um, so events can events can escape. You need some. Uh, let's see. They need to bubble. Uh, I think by default they don't bubble necessarily. So you need to turn bubbles true on. And there's one other flag I can't remember. It's an attribute. Um, by my book, you'll know what the attribute is that I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head right now. But they're totally easy. Um, you can do custom events um, if you're just creating your own events. And mouse events do bubble. Um, so yeah. I, I happen to have read a bit of the book as homework. Is it the composed <laughs> property? Composed. Thank you. I was thinking like co- components, component. No. Yes, it's composed. Thank you. <laughs> So the um, thinking more about the the shadow 
nature of, of components, it seems like something that would be very well suited to a, um, a design system, like a design toolkit to be consumed in other applications. Have you seen much of that out in the wild? Yeah. Um, it's great for design systems, but it makes it a little harder up front. If you think, for, for now anyway, if you think about a design system like Bootstrap, uh, Bootstrap is this whole system and it all the, all the CSS is stored at the root. Uh, of your page, and it kind of it kind of spiders up, and the CSS affects different elements on your page, and that's kind of how design systems have been, and that just really doesn't work for the shadow DOM uh, because you're not going to be able to query select um, you're not gonna be able to query select components deep into your page like that, so it kind of shuts out approaches like that. But I think that you know most modern design systems have moved away from that. Um, one of those uh, is uh, Adobe's design system, uh, Spectrum CSS, uh, which is it's open source right now. Um, so I've been kind of working with that. I have an article about it. Um, basically, Spectrum CSS. And I'm sure a lot of other de uh, design systems that are modern, they kind of like store a lot of stuff in CSS var variables, which actually you can use them anywhere. They they will they will reach your anything you have nested. They reach beyond the shadow bounds, so you can use those. And a lot of there's there's some efforts going on for because uh, you don't want these these CSS variables. You know, you want to wrap up bigger phrases than just little tiny CSS variables. So. Um, there's some proposals going on that Chrome will adopt a uh, part and theme, but even even beyond that, right now we're kind of writing. Um, there's some build systems that are going on to inject these CSS uh, rules into each component. That's kind of the, the hacky way we're doing it right now. But these modular uh, these modular design systems, the way things are going right now, I feel like it makes that job a lot easier. So there's there's an emerging story. There wasn't a good story. Like in the past, but I think we're moving towards something that are something that's a little better in terms of design systems. Um, and once we're there, it'll just be amazing, I think. And um, one of the the Google news, um, I was just at a web components meetup in San Francisco last week, and I know from on Google's end, the the Polymer team is going to be working a lot more closely with ma the material design system. Uh, so that's that shows promise as well. So it's it's a story that's ongoing. Interesting. So. Um... Say, say your team had an existing CSS-based design system and they wanted to put it to work or encapsulate it within web components. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are the ways of doing this? I've, I've heard something about constructible style sheets, but that's about the limit of yeah. my knowledge. Can you explain a little bit more about this side of it? Yeah, so that was a. I, I wrote an article about this um, uh, about constructible designs, constructible style sheets with Spectrum. Basically, what's going on there is. So constructible style sheets are a Chrome-only feature, but it is easily polyfilled. The idea there is you would um, load up a style sheet as a, a CSS style sheet uh, object, and you can actually use that object and adopt it into anywhere, including your document, but most, most notably um, the, your shadow DOM of any component you have. So... You can you can just load that up, adopt it to uh, the shadow DOM of one component, and adopt that same style sheet to a, uh, the shadow DOM of another component. And you're using that same style sheet, not even just not loading them up, repeating ties, not like overloading your memory with multiple style sheets. Um, you're just using that same instance over and over again in multiple style sheets. And it worked really well when I tried that out with Spectrum, just because of you know 
really how modularized it was. And I, ex I expect the, the approach would work for other similar um, design systems. Um, and I kind of wrote a wrapper around that so that you can make that request and say, hey, fetch me that style sheet. If it's already loaded, go into my dictionary and just get the cached version of that. Um, so there's, there's some helper stuff I had to write around that. But uh, going forward, there's something called CSS modules. And CSS modules will let, let you, you know, do ES6 module importing of style sheets. So right in your component, assuming this, this feature ships soon, um, you can just say, import my CSS, use that, adopt the style sheet, um, and, and that kind of completes that constructible style sheet story in a big way. And I, I can't wait for that day to come. Given that the spec is now stable and very approachable, given that the tooling story is, mm -hmm. is making it even more approachable, it seems like we're, we're fast approaching a point where people will be creating lots of useful web components for everybody to consume. Where do you see yeah. people sharing these? Do you think it will happen via NPM, or do you think there'll be some other approach that takes hold with web components? I think it's I think it's a tricky thing to say because um, okay, so take take a very straightforward component like Google's model viewer component. It's a it's a component that wraps up a three D model and it allows you to interact with that three D model and just show it on your screen. That's something that's easily shareable because it doesn't really have a UI. So yeah, absolutely, wrap that thing up on npm, ship it, everybody can pull it in and use it. Um, I think that the story is a little more complicated when you talk about. Um, things that actually have a design and a, and a UI behind them. And yes, you can wrap up a component that has a UI design, ship that on NPM, and that's that's cool, but I feel like a lot of people will want to change up that design. Um, so you really have to be careful about how you expose what needs to be changed, uh, like what design elements need to be changed to that component. So I'm not sure anybody's solved that well on in, in, in any framework, really, either. So... Yeah, I think I think we'll see on that. So Salesforce, I just saw a, a nice slide from the the same meetup I went to last week. How they're shipping? They have one million web components right now. Um, I'm not sure where they're. I don't know how they're delivering them, but that's that's a pretty interesting story as well. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, I mean, with with uh, Salesforce, the way that that works, I mean, one of the use cases for Lightning Web Components is on the Lightning platform itself. So this is the the user interface that people see when they're they're interacting with their with with the Salesforce platform, and it's um, highly highly extensible and customizable. And the idea in that environment mm -hmm. is when you want a custom piece of UI, you write a Lightning component using the Lightning Web Components tooling, which is effectively just writing a, a, a web component. Um, and it gives you all the benefits of encapsulation with the shadow DOM, but also allows you to use the existing uh, Lightning Design System web components in there too. So I think that's what they're referring to when they talk about that. So there's a big, mm -hmm. a big active community yeah, of people programming their Salesforce instances today uh, using web component technologies. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the point I was inadvertently running into, which is, you know, each platform is going to have their own way of, you know, if you're if you're involved in that platform or ecosystem, they're going to they're probably going to have their own way to deliver. Um, and like if you go I if you, there's another uh, web component ecosystem called Vaadin, and um, you know you can just go in and download Vaadin components off their page. I'm pretty sure you can get them off npm as well. But I think I think right now what we're seeing is very platform or ecosystem um, centric. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see how we kind of emerge out of that into something a little more um, general general use, I guess. Um, but I guess I guess NPM is the probably the best place we have right now to to ship them. Um, so okay, you've given us tons of great details about um, the history of web components, the state of them today, uh, the kind of cool things you can build with them. Besides reading your book. What advice do you have for people looking to learn how to use web components? Yeah, I mean, so my book wasn't even the first book. There's another book by Corey Ryland, and I think it. You know, I've said this before. I think I've I I bought Corey's book initially just to see like, oh, he wrote the first book, and I didn't get to it first. Um, so it was kind of like a little uh, competition in jest there, even though I never met him. But um, you know, I picked up his book, I bought it, and he touches on a lot of different points than I do on book. So I think um, his book is a great addition as well, um, and it's a, it's a short, quick ebook read. Um, so that's a great book. Another um, place you can go to uh, the the Polymer Slack channel. Um, that's the it's Google owned, um, and they do talk about LinHTML and LinElement a lot there. But it's a great resource. People are totally willing to help you out. Uh, Google's doing a, the Polymer team specifically is doing a great job just supporting the web components community. Um, going on the web, reading recent articles, I would say, you know, in 2019, there's been so many good web components articles. And just make sure you make sure you look at the date too, because if it's from 2015, it's probably too old, even even stuff that's 2017 is probably too old at this point. Um, but there's been some, you know, just the, the web component community has been just so amazing in, uh, you know, just supporting each other and coming together, putting out learning material. It's been great. So I would suggest all of the above. Sounds, sounds great. Um, you've already touched on this a bit, but I think a, a, an interesting way to wrap up would be to ask you, where do you see web components and related technologies and related emerging specifications going in the next five years? There's, there's going to be a lot to that, that CSS story, that design system story going forward with uh, the parts and the themes, constructible style sheets, CSS modules. Um, so that's, that's something that you're going to hear a lot more about going forward as, as Chrome starts shipping features and hopefully they, those features trickle to other browsers. Um, now, in terms of where the whole web components ecosystem is going to go, I, you know, maybe th maybe this is too much of a rosy view, but um, uh, again, at this web components meetup uh, last week, Justin was Justin, the 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 author of uh, LinHTML Lit Element. Um, he was talking about how React will. There's going to be a breaking change if I get this right. Please, you know, hopefully I'm not wrong on this. There's going to be a breaking change that makes web components more easily slide into the the. Um, React framework, and this is pretty significant because it, uh, one of the resources you can go do right now, custom elements everywhere, um, really defines how custom how web components work in a variety of frameworks and a variety of situations. And the story is closing in that web components really are on the verge of being able to easily be inserted anywhere you go, and this has major implications in that maybe we won't have framework wars anymore. Maybe. Um, a React component can work in my Angular project. An Angular project can work in my web component. Um, like we're we're just breaking down barriers at this point, I think. And I think this is this this standard of web components is going to be huge to break down these barriers. And I think that's one of the major major directions that we're going to see web components in the future, just like breaking down these barriers and and going forward with all these different ecosystems like LitElement. Um, 
like I like Ionix web components, like Salesforce's web components. So we're, we're going to be seeing a, a lot more web components and other frameworks playing on equal playing fields, I feel like. So I think that's one of the major things I'm excited about. Fantastic. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us on Codish. And uh, I should mention, finally, that we have a, a very special promo code for uh, the book. So if you go to Manning's website, Manning Publications website, and use the code PODISH19, P-O-D-I-S-H-19, for a very lovely discount. And go ahead and buy Web Components in Action by Ben Farrell. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.